This episode of The Sleeper and the Bust is brought to you by Out of the Park 17, the most authentic baseball strategy game ever made. This is the Out of the Park baseball that you've been waiting for. Not only does Out of the Park baseball 17 feature its trademark immersion into a hardball strategy and management experience like no other, including nearly 150 years of baseball history in a single package, but it also now includes the MLB PA license for the first time, along with the returning MLB.com license as well. This means all the real teams, players, logos, ballparks, and more. You simply cannot get more authentic. You want to play with the Matt Weeders version that was going to cure cancer with his bat? Boom, 2008, get in those Baltimore minor leagues, and he's going to be putting up a 1040 OPS for you. It's great. You want to play with uh, career minor league home run leader Mike Hessman, who has 433, spanned across, I don't know, 20-something years. <laughs> Maybe not 20, but you can play. You can just go to the minors and play Hessman and follow him around and maybe maybe turn him into a major leaguer. Who knows? There are so many community-driven features added this year that we can't even list all of them. But here's a few of the highlights. Accurate 2016 opening day major league rosters. Accurate major and minor leagues with authentic names, logos, and rosters dating back over more than a century. And that gets back to what I was talking about with Weeders and Hessman. An all-new historical mode that lets you realistically play teams from any year and era against each other in a single game or series. So if you want to take one of those old school teams from, you know, 1952 and see how they would play against, you know, the 2008 Tigers for some reason, then do it. Or if you want to compare historically great teams, you know, that uh, 116 win Seattle Mariner team against, you know, one of those great Yankee teams from the uh, mid 90s. Pair those two. See how they play. You can also get accurate representation of 2016 MLB faces showing their emotions and aging over time thanks to the aforementioned MLB PA license and face gen technology. Beautiful, improved visuals on and off the field, and again, so much more. Even better is if you pre-order now, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com, clicking on the pre-order banner, and simply entering the code SLEEPER17 at checkout to not only get the discount, but also help support Sleeper and the Bust, indie sports video game development, and all the people who bring... Uh, who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 17. Once again, just go to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the pre-order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER17 at checkout for a special discount to help support Sleeper in the Bust. Also, if you want to click on the link in the show notes, it'll take you right there. Now here's the episode. of the sleeper in the bus it is wednesday march 2nd i'm your host paul spore joined as always on wednesdays by eno saris eno how you doing today i'm doing great i'm a little bit crazy you know how it gets when you're about to you know go somewhere yes. for a while and you're just you get like a million things up in the air doing a meetup next friday um trying to you know figure out when i get to talk to joey Votto in arizona and uh you know when i'm gonna go to arizona camp and talk to granky so uh, just a lot of things going on, and my brain is fried. <laughs> and the trip hasn't even begun yet. Well, I'm going to fry your brain a little bit more. I'm sorry. You got used to whatever was on the list that I had for topics today, but we're scrapping all of it. 
We're throwing it out. Mike Pelfrey just threw three perfect innings against the Yankees. We got to break that down, and I think it will take the whole hour. So I hope you're prepared for that. I'm going to do a jump bid in ALA, but I'm just going to be like, $41, <laughs> Mike Pelfrey. Pelfrey, 41 What? Me. He's mine. You know Schechter will get in on a 42 with that. Uh, we are going to talk a lot of AL labor today because that is also what you're getting done in Arizona. you got a lot of things going on in Arizona, but AL labor is among them. We're going to talk about the AL pool, kind of some of your loose ideas about about how you attack it. Obviously, we're not going to give away all the trade secrets. But then we're going to also hit on some, some late buys in AL-only leagues that, again, you might not be targeting, but we're just going to throw out some names that both of us like at the end. Uh, first, let's talk about something that does have a little bit of fantasy relevance, but I understand that the the, the broader scope is much more important, and obviously we're not going to attack it from that angle on this particular show, but please understand that we know it isn't just the fantasy implications of Aroldis Chapman's 30-game suspension that we care about. It is very much secondary, even tertiary, but we are going to talk about it. And it does put him down on the shelf for, you know, just over a month. 30 games is what it is, not 30 days. And, you know, uh, there can be some off days in April uh, to protect for weather. So, you know, he might miss 35 days or something like that. Probably not even that much. But either way, it's about a there month. Andrew one Miller. weird wrinkle in there. What's that? Is that there's one weird wrinkle in there is that Aroldis Chapman, if the, the Yankees miss a game due to weather, it counts as a game suspended. So Oh, so because it was supposed to be a game, it will count. Yeah, so I don't know if that was just like something this time through or I don't I don't understand. I've never really heard anything like that before, but it means that there is an actual set date for him to come back. Okay. So no matter yeah. what, that date will, will be. Yeah, I think Ken Rosenthal was reporting it. I forget what date it is exactly, and it, it is about um like May 5th or something. Okay. So but yeah, you know, ostensibly he misses a month, and that that leaves five months of, of really excellent play. But you know, somebody was asking me, should I keep Kenley Jansen or should I keep Aroldis Chapman? I said keep Kenley Jansen. I mean, even they're both really great. And yes, Kenley Jansen is a little bit injury prone, but you know, Kenley Jansen has the chance to play six months. Again, from if we're looking at it from a statistical standpoint, and obviously the, the circumstances were different, but in 2014, Chapman essentially missed a month uh, when he got drilled with the line drive uh, right in the head and didn't come back till May 11th and ended up having a fantastic season. Two ERA, .83 whip, 54 innings, and 36 saves. In fact, he had three more saves than he did all of last year. Of course, he was on a much worse team. So the fact is he's probably still going to get his mid-30s saves um, a ton of strikeouts, but yeah, when it's when it's a choice between another stud and him, you you, you go with the guy who's got a great shot at, or, or doesn't have an impediment that will limit him to max of five months, and that's what we're looking at with uh, Aroldis Chapman. How does this impact you for bidding on somebody like an Andrew Miller now? Because he's he's going to assume the role for that month, and then obviously be a v very good middle reliever for the rest of the year. But how interested are you in him with a month of saves on the docket? I mean, I think there could be some off-day saves after that, mm -hmm. maybe some lefty lineup saves. I mean, they have the chance to go really situational with that bullpen. So, you know, I think I would give him, you know, something like, well, you know, what's a good season? A good season is like 40 saves in a, in, in a, in a full season. You're going to give him one-sixth of that uh, plus a little bit more. So I think you could get eight to ten saves over the course of the year. And with those excellent numbers, I, other than that, I think that he makes a great – I mean, great, great always depends on price. Sure. So I wouldn't 
necessarily pay ten or fifteen dollars for them in AL labor. A, you know, AL labor is is uh, the kind of place where an eight eighteen dollars is a is a top closer. Uh, you know, so fifteen to twenty dollars is your is your you know actual closer price. But I might pay more than him than you know the one to three dollar range where that's where you're you're buying guys that you think like Joaquin Benoit who you think will take over for uh, Steve Sishek eventually, but is not a closer to begin with. So I would pay more for him than a Joaquin Benoit because you can just slot him in and he'll give you a lot of rates and ratios and those 10 saves. Um, so I, I think that um, I, it, I think relievers are the hardest thing to value. I'm not even sure that any auction calculator really gets to the value of a reliever. And because every auction you're going to go into every draft you're going to go into is going to overvalue closers based on the numbers and unless you just go the other way completely and don't get any closers and just try to buy a bunch of relievers that you think will close you're always going to have to pay the market rate to get a good closer and so you know i think that uh you know buying miller for five or six bucks is okay you know, your auction calculator may, may spit out a bigger number, but he's not actually going to be a closer for five months. So um, I think that closers are the best place for you to feel your way through a draft. Mm -hmm. Find out what the top two closers are going to be. Try to get somebody that's cheaper than those top two closers, but more expensive than the bad ones. That's basically my, my philosophy on closers. I like that. And obviously we're going to talk a little bit deeper on closers because the AL closer pool itself is pretty interesting, especially when compared to the NL. Uh, and we are going to dive deep in on the American League. Let's go ahead and start that. We're talking AL labor. And I want to overview the strengths of the AL pool first. I already mentioned one. I do think relief pitching is very much a big strength in this pool. Let's start there before we get on to the others. Because it is so strong, even with this with this one month for Chapman, because obviously they just fill in with another super stud, and and you could feasibly get Miller Chapman if you wanted to, just guarantee yourselves self the Yankees, uh, you know, saves and get Miller as a great secondary guy anyway uh, in an AL only. How are you how are you going to approach this pool since the AL closers are so deep? Well, the, look at what I said. I said that Miller was going to have a bigger auction value than maybe he should he should command. Andrew Miller in AL only is a nineteen dollar pitcher by our by our uh, auction calculator, and I just I can't see doing that. Mm -mm. I can't see doing that. If I'm going to spend eighteen to twenty bucks, I want a guy who's going to close all year because I want him to be a stud in all of the categories. I mean, I guess save wins, but I want him to, to really be an asset everywhere. And Miller, I just don't see him unless Chapman gets hurt getting much more than 10 saves. So, you know, he's more like a guy I'd spend five to 10 bucks on if I went with the sort of no closer uh, approach. But I, I see this going pretty deep. Kimbrell, Davis, Britton, Allen, Robertson, Giles, Chapman, Boxberger, I haven't said a name yet where I really had to pause and say, I'm not sure about this guy keeping the job due to performance. Mm -hmm. You know, exactly. Um, a lot of good guys. Even, you know, Doolittle's a good rebound guy if that velocity is back. We started to see a little bit, a few spurts of it at the end of last season. 
Uh, I do like him. I think K-Rod will hold the job. But even if not, um, you know, the Tigers do have some decent options. You know, if we got some clarity on Storin versus Osuna, I would like whoever the guy was, but we don't have that clarity right now. But again, that's 10, 12 deep already. Uh, or maybe, maybe not 12, uh, but, you know, like eight deep of studs. And then you start getting into the shakier ones. That's pretty. That's pretty impressive pool. Yeah, so I think I'll I'll be shopping in that group. Doolittle, I love. I love him as a person. I love talking to Great him. Dude. I love. I know you've met you him know, personally. I only know him from like interviews and stuff. Yeah, I mean he's he is that guy. He is he's really fun and upbeat and interesting and quirky and uh, and thinks about his craft very hard. So I, I like uh, I like Doolittle. It's a little bit too much risk because I think Ryan Matson's really good, and I also like Liam Hendricks. Yeah, we've been ta- we've been pumping Hendricks now all winter. So if you if so, you get that tip from somebody else, don't pretend that he didn't come here first, okay? Yeah. So you know, so was on that in November, folks. Right, Liam Hendricks, one dollar AL. Now he's gonna get bit up on you. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have blown that for you. Yeah, I mean the auction calculator says seven. That's actually kind of where I'd put Miller. Uh, is in that? I guess he'd be more. Uh, Dellen Batances, the auction calculator says 13. I like Miller around there. Yeah. Miller, Batances, you know, those are guys, uh, Hendricks, those are guys that uh, will probably give you really good numbers. Who knows about the saves? If you want to spend 8 to 10 bucks on a guy like that, I, I won't stand in your way. Good relievers tend to float to the top, and, and I believe those are, do, are good relievers. But, you know, a guy like Darren O'Day, I, even if – Britain goes down. I don't see him as necessarily being a closer type. So, you know, there's only a certain distance I'll go with that philosophy. Mm-hmm. I would like to have one foot. You know, I'd prefer Liam Hendricks even to maybe Dallin Batances because even though Dallin Batances is going to be better, he's got for... two hurdles to leap. Whereas Hendricks could bypass Madsen. Like it, it it's not right. a, a clear roadblock that Madsen would would be next for Doolittle, whereas I do think it's clear. We're seeing it that it's clear that Miller is after Chapman. Right. So, uh, yeah, and uh, you know, there's there's certain things like there there are places that I'll go if I can handcuff it and I feel good about it. So, the Tigers did they uh, resign? Oh, no, that's Serena went to the Royals. Who's the Tigers setup man? It's uh, so they're looking at a Mark Lowe, Justin Wilson right. along. It's all new and at the back end there. Obviously, Bruce Rondon right. still lingering with his hundred mile an hour fastball, but he was sent home basically for like right. quitting. Um, so they're not they're not enamored of him anymore. But it's all well, it's three new guys. I think it's Mark Lowe as long as he's healthy would be next in command behind uh, K Rod. I think that the the bottom end is actually something worth staying out of here because, and I think I kind of consist can consider Francisco Rodriguez part of that because, uh, you know, let's say you you like you you think that Tolson is going to go for ten bucks. The auction calculator says eleven. You think he's going to go for eight to eleven bucks, and you like that because you like Tolson and you think you can handcuff him. Well, are you going to handcuff him with Dyson and with Kayla? And how much is that going to cost? And then all of a sudden you have three roster spots tied up in one bullpen. Exactly. If you're going to do that, then you should spend the big bucks and make it the New York one. I know that that'd be kind of crazy because all three of those guys are going to go so for something. Expensive. But it's better than doing that with like a Texas. Because what if yeah. like Jake Diekman snuck in and ended up being the, the secondary guy anyway? Oh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the the one that stands out, I mean, I think the Tigers, Francisco Rodriguez, Mark Lowe, that's interesting. Justin Wilson's a lefty, so I doubt he's going to be the closer. Mm-hmm. So you could go K-Rod Lowe and and just uh, and try to go with two rosters. But I, that's the most I would spend. 
and you know try to get uh, you know the two of those guys for like twelve bucks. Right? Their auction calculator says nine bucks for Rodriguez. You could probably get low for a dollar or two. Yeah. So you know that might be a good like a handcuff of a bullpen for ten or eleven bucks. That's decent because you can't do that with the Rangers. The other one that's interesting is the Blue Jays. But the auction calculator says Osuna and Storin are both $10 pitchers. So there you have to spend $20 if everyone's following that same number. If they're not, I, I think even if they're not, I think it's going to cost close to 20 bucks. I agree. I really because think so. Because some people are going to bet on Osuna and some people are going to bet on Storin. Mm-hmm. And those guys are going to bid up you know, to normal sort of back-end closer status. And that's going to be a hard handcuff. So I don't see a lot of handcuffs that are obvious. So let's say you want, like, you like Houston Street. For 50 innings, and you think you can identify the handcuff? Who's the handcuff? Joe Smith, maybe. I mean, that's the thing. I don't. I don't want to mess with anybody. I don't even really want to mess with Street, to be honest. I would settle for yeah. him as a RP two. Uh, yeah, as a second or a reliever, then maybe you could go with Mike Morin, or or um, Mike Morin has the the swing strike rate and the strikeout rate. Joe Smith is the ground ball, the setup guy, but he's he's ground ball guy. Slots weird. He's not the kind of guy that. I think would step in for a whole season if Street was hurt. So uh, that, that's an interesting handcuff. Maybe the Angels is a is a good handcuff. Honestly, um, a lot of the good handcuffs are with the stud closers already. You know, like yeah. I like somebody like a Nate Jones for Chicago, but they got David Robertson there. You know, yeah. uh, Koji Uehara and Carson Smith are studs, but they got Craig freaking Kimbrell. So it, it's weird. A lot of the the stud guys are the ones that have the the good like. Luke Gregerson was a capable closer last year, but now it's Ken Giles. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, those back end ones that you're talking about, I think you're right because even Brett Cecil is still lingering in Toronto. I, I don't know that he's going to factor in, but just to make matters even tougher to deal with, it's tough to build a nice uh, uh, bullpen sort of platoon with one team in the AL. I agree with you. So I would take somebody out of that first date. Uh, and and hopefully somebody that might give you like you could maybe handcuff with reserve rounds. So you know David Robertson's actually kind of interesting in that way because I think Nate Jones is almost a reserve pick. Agreed. You know maybe two three dollar guy. I mean, yeah, I would pay for him, but I'm the one that would be doing it. I'm not sure that he's going to get brought up unless there's somebody who really likes him. You know he's not some young guy. Nate Jones is like 30. He didn't really do the job the one time that he got a shot with it. I don't think there's any reason to like be hating on Robertson. But it is exactly. closer. Yeah. You never know. Right. So, yeah, I mean, maybe you can get him for two to three. Also, Robertson looks like he's two to three dollars sh- uh, shorter than um, than the than the top five or so. So, you know, for your 18 bucks, instead of having just Kimbrell and hoping or nah, you don't even get a Kimbrell for 18. But let's say uh, you can have Britain for 18 bucks or you can have Robertson and Jones for 18 bucks, which is a little bit. Uh, more solid in terms of you have the guy and you have his ostensible handcuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's an interesting uh, thing that I might I might go one way or the other there. Um, but uh, I think most likely I'm going to get somebody on that top eight, hopefully have some sort of handcuff, either in the reserve round or a dollar on that guy, and then maybe um, a, high-end, uh, a high-end sleeper, um, you know, ideally, my ideal bullpen strategy would be guy from the top end with a reserve round handcuff. Okay. So maybe Cody Allen and Zach McAllister. Yeah. Or da- David Robertson and Nate Jones. If I could get one of those, those second guys on, on reserve, I would feel a lot better about owning those first two guys. Uh, and then I could spend two picks on Benoit, Hendricks, 
maybe even Saria. I mean, just just get guys that are good relievers in decent situations. I like and, that. Uh, and that's, that's my bullpen strategy. And hope that what I end up out of the year is that my first guy uh, keeps it or the handcuff takes it and that one or two of my guys uh, from draft day hits it. And then if I'm, you know, if I win the league, it's because I also did one waiver claim that turned out to be a reliever. I mean, because I think winners end up having three closers a lot. And um, you know, that seems impossible league. going into, you know, a 12 team AL only season. But um, the winners, you know, the talent consolidates on the winners and um, that's how you win. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that at least I would want two closes by the end of the year. And, you know, I think the flip side that I've done in the past, which is don't pay for closers and just get guys like Benoit and, um, and, and Hendricks is the problem that they don't have any saves in, at the beginning of the year. And so you, you're, you're waiting for them to come around. And they're too good to drop, mm-hmm. you know, because so, you, so you're like, oh, do I drop them? I don't know. Sishek could still, ble- still blow up. I don't know. I don't know. And so your you're ceiling on saves is no good. And you're still chasing one closer, whereas everybody else had one closer for April and is chasing that second and third closer. So um, I think you do need to put a toe in the water. I think you do need one closer. You can, you can wait and try to get one out of the bottom of that top eight. But you need you need one closer. I think I think that's a great way to uh, put that bow on the American League closers. And you know what's interesting about these uh, these strengths? We've got uh, two other strengths, uh, positional strengths. Excuse me. The NL is is equally weak in, in these in these ones. It really does mirror each other. Like the uh, the NL closer pool outside of Jansen. It's it's not that strong. There just aren't that many studs. You know, you got your Familia, Melanson, Rosenthal, but even like Familia, Melanson, Rosenthal, they would not be two, three, and four in the AL, not even close. So it, it's it's definitely interesting. And I think shortstop is another one where that disparity between the two leagues is very stark because right now, according to Fantasy Pros, the top NL shortstop is Corey Seager. And you got Corey Seager, Brandon Crawford, Johnny Peralta, names that aren't, you know, Seager has people hyped, but the other two don't necessarily go over to the AL. And it's not necessarily that there are certainties uh, because there is a lot of risk, but there are risks that you want to take. Carlos Correa, to, uh, Troy Tulowitzki, Xander Bogarts, Francisco Lindor, Ian Desmond. I know he's going to play outfield, but he's shortstop eligible. Uh, Manny Machado in some leagues will be a, uh, will be shortstop eligible. So I think shortstop is another strong pool for the American League, how do you plan to approach that? The uh, I've done I, I, I've got my values done two different ways, and it's interesting because one is done by standard gains points, so it, it looks at um, standings gains points. So it looks at how many points in the standings you can gain from certain stats, and I think it's a decent way to look at leagues like AL Labor where the managers have been the same and their strategies have been similar. And so the standings reflect that. And so if they act very similar and they've been very similar over the past, then you can use that those standings going forward. But if it's like a redraft league or it's a league where you're just entering the group, then I don't think last year's standings are as important. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's one way of doing point, it. That's a point, by the way. If you've got that league that you've been doing for six, seven years and you've got all those uh, data points – you know, maybe maybe a, a roster or a team owner turnover here and there once or twice. 
that can be a good set of data. But like you said, if you're jumping into the league cold, you don't really know tendencies or the league has a lot of turnover every year, three, four different guys. It's not going to be as useful to, to lean back on that data just because playing styles can differ pretty wildly. That's a great point, you know. Yeah, I've been in leagues where like nobody cares about stolen bases, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you did Z scores, you would find all these guys with stolen bases go to the top because stolen bases are rare. But if everybody in the league says, I don't care about stolen bases, that changes the value of the stolen base in that league. Industry so, leagues used to be like that for starting pitchers. You, yes. You know, just across the board, they just would not, uh, uh, the mixed leagues especially, but even the onlys, you know, they would not compare to home leagues. And you look at these prices and you'd be like, what the, what the freak, man? And it was just a, a different way that the industry did it. Now they're kind of changing their tune a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I think that's another great point. Um, so anyway, so I've done, I have the standard gains points with uh, Pod Hortzer's projections, which are, are great. He, he's actually gone toe-to-toe with the projection systems and, and won um, in the past. So I like that. Um, I've got that number. And then I've got the, the auction calculator, which is more of a Z-score approach. And, um, you know, in both cases, uh, Carlos Correa is, is a top player. But by the Z-score method... Uh, the auction calculator, basically, Carlos Correa is the third best player in baseball uh, in, in, in the American League. And um, if I sort now by my Podhortzer uh, rankings, I get uh, Carlos Correa as second best. Dang. Uh, so, he, so he's up there. He's behind Trout and, and then Trout and Miggy in the other one? Yeah. So, uh, no, Trout and Altuve. Oh, yeah. Altuve. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, with Miggy right behind. So, um, you know, there's there's a decent amount of this is, is positional value because um, the business, positional value is, is highest among shortstops just in general. And uh, he's listed as uh, I mean, the, the positional value is worth $15 or $14.70 um, by, uh, by our auction calculator. So that means that you know, fourteen dollars and seventy cents of his thirty-three dollars and fifty cent value out of the auction calculator comes from being short, are, or just come from being a short. Okay. Stop. So that makes me a little bit nervous. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's uh, there is position scarcity, but if you're just talking about shortstops, can you go twelve deep with a uh, with decent bats? I mean, Correa, Bogarts, Lindor, Andrews, Simeon, Marte, Tulowitzki. Uh, let me let me go a, a, a little out of order of our lineup here and, and, and jump on this email since you mentioned a name that's really interesting and who shows up pretty high on the auction calculator for American League shortstop. So we're going to get to our email question of the day from Tyler, and it's about Mr. Marcus Simeon. He says, I'm doing my rankings for shortstops last night and came across Simeon, who's being drafted around 250 or 13th among shortstops according to NFBC average draft position. Keep in mind that that's mixed league, folks. But uh, he showed double-digit power and speed and a decent enough average in his first full year, uh, in his first year with a full workload. I listened to three or four different podcasts, including Sleeper in the Bus, during my boring eight to eight to six mindless desk job for the past month. I keep track of about 500 names on an Excel spreadsheet. 423 names have been mentioned at least once. Semyon, surprisingly, is part of the 15% that has not been mentioned. Although I am appreciative that 85% has been covered, so please don't take this as a hate mail. All this to say, where's the love slash hate slash talk for Marcus Simeon? I feel like he has top five potential if he can continue to build on his plate discipline, 
uh, an OBP, etc. It's not like Reyes is playing 120 games. Andres, Segura, Marte help in anything but steals. It's not like they help in anything but steals. And Crawford, who I like, is a regression candidate. Lowry, um, excuse me, Jed Lowry will be too busy being the utility guy who platoons for Valencia at third base, which, by the way, we talked about. Sogard at second base to threaten any of Semyon's playing time. I agree with that. I'm just worried uh, that I'm underthinking this, I guess. Love the show. You guys have me approaching the fantasy game from a much better perspective as far as projecting players, specifically what to look for in uh, rebound and regression candidates. Also, I wish I had the cash flow to join one of these beat Paul Spore leagues, but I'm too close to finishing off finish off paying my college debt. So I'll just have to wait till next year. Thanks, Tyler. That's a great email. And again, you mentioned Semyon, so I wanted to bring it up. I'm looking on the auction calculator for AL only. You know, I know you're looking at it too. Where does Semyon rank among AL shortstops? This one surprised me. Yeah, fifth. Boom. It's, and, and and honestly, with how boring Ellis Andrews is, you know, and, and thinking about, you know, the way I like to construct rosters is, I'd rather have more ceiling uh, than floor, especially when I'm paying uh, for like the twenty dollar guys, right? Like, absolutely. If I'm paying for those guys, I'd rather have more ceiling than floor because the floor is going to be decent because it's already a twenty dollar guy, and the projection is is offering me a look at the floor and it's saying this is pretty good. And then there's there's ceiling beyond that. I say Simeon has more ceiling beyond his projection than Andrews. Andrews is just a guy, you know, that you throw out there that. You know, plays a lot and will steal 20 bases and and hit for a decent ad- average, but he's not going to do anything better than that. I've decided we've I thought maybe he would for a while, but I'm decided now that I do not think he's going to do any more. And so he's a 20 dollars shortstop that was, has no room to grow. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Catel Marte, I think you know, kind of is in that similar vein actually. Whereas Simeon actually has power and speed, and you know, I think that he made such strides with Ron Washington last year that I can believe he's going to stick it short. Agreed. And there was this weird thing going on where he, I think we talked about this a little bit, but he, you know, he wasn't hitting well when he was working really hard on his defense with Ron Washington. I think he was just thinking about his defense a lot. And then at the end of the year, he finally was playing defense well and hitting well. And that's the Marcus Simeon that I think that we might see more of next year. I mean, we haven't seen an above-average walk rate from him in the major leagues yet. And in the minor leagues, he walked like 15% of the time. He had some really impressive strikeout-to-walk ratios in the minor leagues for Simeon. In fact, he was damn near a one-to-one during some seasons. So, you know, it doesn't always fully translate, but I think it's reasonable to expect something better than what we saw from Marcus Simeon last year, which was a 22% strikeout rate and 7% walk rate. I think he could take a couple ticks off of that K rate and bounce a couple onto the walk rate, giving him kind of like a, a 19 and 10 sort of deal. And that'd be damn good, I think. Yeah, that would that would mean a lot for his batting average, too. You'd have to take the over on his projected sort of 240, 250 batting average if he, if he did do that. And it would mean more chances to steal and more chances to score runs on RBI, mm-hmm. floating upwards to the top of the order. All sorts of good things. His, his, his whiff rate at 9% is basically average, so he really could have a 20% strikeout rate. And a 10% walk rate. I mean, that none of that would be out of line with what he's doing. At 25, he's pre-peak for power, no matter how early you put that. So he's going to show some power growth, most likely. In the minor leagues, he showed more power. So, I mean, we're talking about a guy who is projected to go 250, 15, 12 or so, right? Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't be weird at all 
if he hit 275 with 20 homers and 15 stolen bases next year. No. Like, that that wouldn't even be, like, a crazy leap. That would just be like, oh, yeah, that was some good skills growth there. Exactly. So, you know, I, I, I think in that type of a season, I think would get him really close. I think people would be really surprised how close that would be to Correa. You know, because if Correa had, did hit a lot of ground balls, and if you don't project a lot of growth, he's more like a 280, 290, 2020 guy. Which is great. And then all of a sudden, you're talking, you look up at the end of the year, and you're like, Oh crap! You know, Correa was worth his maybe twenty-five bucks. I spent thirty bucks on him, but Eno spent you know twenty bucks on Simeon and got twenty-four dollars out of him. So you know, he he actually won that little battle there. So um, you know, another nice thing about Simeon, there's only two shortstops that don't have a negative. That's Correa and Bogarts. And then uh, you know, even before, even ahead of Simeon, Andrews has two negatives: uh, RBI and home runs. Uh, Lindor has a negative home runs. Simeon is the only other guy other than Lenore that only has one negative. Uh, actually, Desmond, too. So, um, you know, if, you, if you're, he's a really good guy if you're already going into saying, I'm not going to care too much about batting average, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think he could really fit some, some teams out there. And um, uh, I like him a lot. I like him a lot. He's, he's got a good head on his shoulders. And um, uh, I'm not sure that I can say that he's necessarily going to be a target, but I will say that I'm probably not going to be in on the bidding on Korea unless it ends up south of 30 bucks, and I don't think it will. I don't either. That, that's going to be real. I, I definitely don't want to pay like 40 bucks for Korea. That's I, I can't do that because I don't think his bat alone is worth 40 bucks. So, um, and I doubt. I think there'd be somebody in the room that loves Bogarts more than me too. So. I think I'm going to be shopping that sort of 18 to 20 dollar level, which I think is pretty decent. I mean, that you know, from 16 to to 25, you have a lot of players. You have Iglesias, Desmond, Castro, Alcides Escobar, Troy Tulowitzki, Ketel Marte, Marcus Simeon, Elvis Andrews, Francisco Lindor. I think Lindor hype will be too much for me, so I'll you know I'll probably get the fourth or fifth best shortstop coming out, and I'll probably spend 18 to 20 bucks. So those and I'll feel, I feel pretty good about that, I think. I mean, a lot of it will be tied up in his positional eligibility, but I, I am sure that I don't want Brad Miller as my starting shortstop. I'm pretty sure I don't want defensive wizards like Iglesias, Gregorius, yeah. and Simmons necessarily as my starting shortstop. Those are, so. those are middles, uh, not, not, yeah. not starting SSs. Exactly. I totally agree with you there. That's going to be a fascinating pool I'm going to watch. Uh, when you guys are drafting on Saturday to to kind of see how it plays out, because I do think that those three young bucks are going to really draw some big numbers, and and they could be overrated, uh, overpriced if they come out at the at the wrong time. Uh, and I'm talking about Correa, Bogarts, and Lindor. Not to mention how are they going to react to Tulowitzki? How are people going to like Desmond in Texas? Meanwhile, I do think somebody like Semyon is actually going to go relatively underpriced comparatively. Let's jump over. Let's just briefly mention this. We're talking about uh, the utility position. And obviously that's not really a big deal as much in NL because they don't have DH only players. But in the American League, it is going to be a bigger deal this year. And this is something that we've talked about a few different times that there are like 10 or 12 guys and and six or seven of them are actually legit, really good players that are going to be DH only this year. So how do you utilize that? Like, how does that change things for you when you're talking about? Prince Fielder, David Ortiz, Kendris Morales, uh, Miguel Sano, A-Rod, Victor Martinez, um, and uh, Evan Gaddis is another one. And then even Jerks and Profar. So that's seven right there that I can uh, – eight that I can think of off the top of my head. Billy Butler, whatever he's uh, – what is he? As fat as the world. Don't forget it, folks. Uh, that's <laughs> did, you, did you mention Sano? Sano yeah. as well. Exactly. So 
you've got that group there and used it used to be like Ortiz and Mart uh, and Victor Martinez and then like a bunch of scrubs we wouldn't draft. Now we're talking about eight or nine guys that are going to be drafted, particularly in the AL only for sure. How does that change your strategy when it comes to, you know, worrying about filling that UT only spot? Well, I don't think it does necessarily because I don't ever worry about it. Uh, the util is something I, I do. I think last year I did get, um, I got it. I got it. I got invested in uh, who was that first baseman in Minnesota? Oh, Kenny Vargas. I almost mentioned him, but he sucks so bad yeah. that I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Remember when we were yeah, all hi so. hyped on him being the next Ortiz? I did. I was a little bit out of uh, of uh, my wheelhouse with him. I I just thought, you know, my auction calculator said he was a fourteen dollar player, and I got him for seven bucks, and I thought. It's just too much value. He looked I'm good. Gonna... I, I was in on him. I'm not even throwing stones. I thought he was going to do well, too. I thought some people were a little bit aggressive, like, you know, 30 bombs this year. Okay. I was thinking maybe like 20, which would have been good. Um, but no, he had a, he had kind of a bust year at the major league level. Went back down to AAA, though, AAA and AA, and still killed it. So I don't even think you can necessarily forget somebody like Vargas. Uh, playing time is going to be an issue, but he's another DH only guy. Yeah, I think this year I'm going to be a little bit different. Um with the, with the spot, I mean, yes. If a DH only guy is dropping too far, and I can get him, I will I will spend a little bit more than a, a couple bucks to to fill that slot because it is a slot like any other, and they have they have value like any other. But I think my ideal use of util would be a high end super utility guy that that is like depth on my team, you know, mm -hmm. versus uh, having to spend. Uh, a bunch of uh, free agents, do free agency dollars on a guy like Marwin Gonzalez. So you know, like an ideal utility slot guy for me might be a guy like Brad Miller, where I've got a couple places I can slot him. If the injuries come up, I've got a player on my team, and that means that when I go to the free agency wire, I'm not looking for a shortstop to replace my injured shortstop. I'm looking for a bat to replace Brad Miller wherever he was. So. Um, you know, I, I think that, that I'd rather have a little bit of flexibility in that util slot, but you can build it in, in other ways, too. You can have Brad Miller in your OF spot and not in your MI spot, uh, and that sort of builds in the flexibility. So I think one of the hardest things, though, is the fact that this is a five-outfielder lineup with 12 uh, teams in an AL only. That means there's 60 outfielders be, that, you know, have to start for, for our teams, and in the AL itself, there are only you know, 60, what is it? There's uh, What's that? 14 uh, 15 times three? teams and yeah. So that's 42. Times three, 45. Oh, 15 teams. Yeah. I'm stupid. I did 14 teams. I was thinking old American league. So 15 teams, there's only 45 starting outfielders. So and you guys got to put in 60 plus guys who are off outfield eligible being taken and, and slotted into other positions. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. You know, Brad Miller might be just as valuable in the in the outfield as, as he would be as a middle infielder. So well, let's talk. Um, uh, let's something I'll just have to watch. It is something that people should think about. Um, you know, because it's still a, a useful bat. Miguel Sano shouldn't go for any less just because of DH only. Let's let's talk about some weaknesses in the pool, and uh, we'll, we'll start with the starting pitcher. And again, this is related 
specifically to NL, but I, I just think kind of overall, like when you're kind of looking at the pools in mixed, you know, we're talking about how deep and great it is. There are there are studs in the American League. I'm not I'm not denying that by any stretch of the imagination. But again, it just runs a lot deeper with studs than it does in the National League because once you start getting past those top ten or twelve you're already running into legitimate question marks. Still tons of upside with like a Lance McCullers or Michael Pineda. Uh, I'm not getting in on the Darvish hype this year. I'll, I'll wait from next year, but you know, there is upside there. I, I do recognize it, but that's, that's questionable at, at 14, 15 and 16. Whereas the 14, 15 and 16 in the, in the national league, Wainwright, Ross and Liriano, they they can each have a question mark, but the, I don't think any of their question marks are nearly as big as the ones that I mentioned for those other three guys. So what do you think about American League starting pitcher as it relates uh, to the depth of the pool and how will it affect you on Saturday? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's interesting because, you know, the, the auction calculator spits out $41 for Chris Sale and second place is Corey Kluber, 31 or $32. So. Uh, basically, 42 and 32. So that's a big jump. And that makes that means that Sale's in this tier of his own. However, for $42, I can either have Chris Sale, or for $43, I can either have Chris Sale and a dollar pitcher, or I can have both Chris Archer and Danny Salazar. Yeah, and we know which way I, I, both of us would be going on that. Yeah, so I would just rather have two pots in the fire. Um, and I, Here, and I here's, think the, here's the thing, though. that That's a hypothetical... There is literally no chance that Chris Sale is going for 41 on Saturday. I don't know what the what the league high is in labor for a starter, but I'd be surprised if it was over 40. Right? Uh, maybe, maybe back in – I know labor has been going on for a while, so maybe there's some Pedro years or some Randy Johnson years that were paid for. But in, in the recent vintage – I don't. I don't think there's a chance that he gets that high. I, again, I know the the hypothetical that you're even if it's even if it's not 41, let's say it's 35, and you move everybody else's numbers down commensurate with that. Your point is, you're not going to try to get the very best, the Chris Sale or the David Price. You're going to look to maybe get two of the of the the next ten, the guys rated t- two through twelve. Is that right? Yeah, and it's it's not only about injury, but it's also about um, for me, it's it's just that I love Chris Sale. You know, we share body type. That that's that's a that's a uh, bond that can't be broken. No, it's not only about injury. It's the fact that like later on, like uh, there's more um, there's more value to be had out of pitchers late in the in in a draft. Exactly. There's more there's more disagreement between uh, pro- progress, pro- projections, prognosticators in general. There's more disagreement about pitchers than there is about hitters. Projections fail more when it comes to pitchers than it comes to hitters. So there's more risk, but there's also more opportunity for value down table. Uh, and there's more, there's less reason to believe in, in the top. So I, I will dive for the middle. I also don't necessarily love the dollar pitchers. I mean, uh, in my values, the dollar pitchers, dollar starting pitchers are Trevor May, who may not be a starting pitcher, Tyler Skaggs, who might be the seventh or eighth guy. Um, you know, who else? Uh, Derek Holland, who I don't want. Eh, yeah, I'm kind of over him. I, I, I rode that train for a few years on Derek Holland. Joe, Joe Kelly, I mean, speaking of riding a train for years, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, 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 I've given up on Joe, on Joe Kelly myself. So, um, Erasmo's down there, but he's not going to go for a buck. I think the calculator has that one wrong. I think he'll go for a good six or seven. Yeah, there, yeah, and then there are guys who are, are too far down there that are, are just uh, – 
that it's just a, either a quirk of the uh, depth charts. Maybe someone just, uh, you know, like we have James Paxton for 74 innings pitched. If you feel differently about how that battle is going to go down, then you're not going to believe. You, you know, James Paxton is probably not going to pitch 74. He's either going to pitch, you know, like 140 or something or 120, or he's going to pitch like 50. You know, it's exactly. like, you know, 74 is just an average of the bunch. And, you know, if you believe that Matt Moore found something, he's not a below replacement guy. I mean, like Podhorzer has uh, uh, Matt Moore as an $8 pitcher. And the auction calculator has him as below for replacement, so that's a that's a perfect place to to spot something. I agree. And, um, I agree. Well, y- Jesse Hahn's a little bit low too. So, uh, but in any case, um, I, I like I like buying a few, you know, ten to twenty dollar pitchers. I mean, there's okay. there's some really nice ones. Marcus Stroman's ten dollar guy. Colin McHugh wasn't Stroman uh, your, your you? I mean, you you kind of used this strategy last year. Wasn't Stroman your guy? Yeah, but like, when I bought Stroman last year, he was an eighteen dollar pitcher, exactly. And uh, now he's a ten dollar pitcher. I may, I may even just uh, forego the very top end and just try to get, um, you know, something like Sunny Gray. And well, you know, Sunny Gray always the auction calculator is based on projections and FIP and all yeah, that. Yeah, and so he's not going to go for what they're saying. He's not going to go for fourteen dollars, but um, you know, which is what the auction calculator says. But you know, something like Garrett Richards. And Marcus Stroman, and uh, a third ten dollar pitcher. So like Justin Verlander. So if I got yeah. Verlander, Stroman, and um, uh, what would I say first? To Garrett Richards. Yeah, Richards, Stroman, and Verlander. That trio might cost me forty five dollars, and I would feel pretty good about that up against a guy who has Chris Sale and two dollar pitchers. That that would be hot. For sure. And so you've already answered kind of a question that I was going to ask you about your approach to top dollar players and your approach to one dollar players. It seems like you're not necessarily interested in either of those sects. Rather, sects, that's S-E-C-T-S, you pervs. Uh, you're not interested in those sections, I'll, I'll, I'll use the full word, of the player pool. Instead, you like to live in the middle. Is that is that specific to being an AL only uh, of such depth or is that your strategy regardless? I've had some success in in shallower leagues, you know, going all out for for Mike Trout and stuff. Like I paid sixty five or seventy dollars for Mike Trout in a in a in a shallow league last year, and uh, finished second or third. And it was, you know, I just I took too much away from my pitching in the end. Mm-hmm. But um, I think in the shallower leagues, the replacement level of your waiver wire is, is so high that you know you really want the star pitchers. Yeah, you got to have the stars. Hitters. Uh, yeah, so I think the deeper the league goes, the more you want your floor to be higher. And, uh, you know, I, I think a, a league where I didn't have a top five pitcher, I could still win, you know, because or even a let's say, could I win with that without a top 12 SP? So basically, I, you know, killed in the middle rounds and just had a bunch of number two types. I think I could even win there. Absolutely. And, and, and the point, the idea is to not pay for the top 12 at the table and then wind up with some who make it into the top 12 yeah, exactly, with your exactly. cheap, cheap bids. I, I agree with you there. Now, another question as it relates to kind of the strategy and how you set up, are you more for targets, targeted players that you want to get, maybe three or four guys that you want to build around? Or do you go with tiers and you're, you're a little bit more agnostic to the exact player? Or do you do a mix of both? I think my major failure in the past, because I haven't done that well at labor, my major failure in the past has been to actually write down uh, 
you know, one or two names at each position and then, you know, have decision trees that come from that and be like, well, if I get Beltry, I'll go here and yeah. I'll buy this. And if I don't get Beltry, I get this. I think that's a, a bad way to go this year. I, I can't help though, but try to see the shape of my team going in because I want to know, I want to know not only what the tiers are, but I want to know where, where I can go if certain things happen. Mm-hmm. So, but instead of having like, you know, two or three names and, and uh, what I've done in the past, what I've done this time is that now I have five names for every slot. And I've got them now listed expensive, expensive, cheap, cheap, cheapest. Nice. And it's basically it's basically guys out of tiers. It basically represents tiers. Exactly. But it also gives me an idea of like, you know, oh, this is too expensive in the draft today. Or I don't want to go where people are going for catchers today, right? So let me just look to the right. Uh, of uh, and not have like a number written down for catcher and like I don't want to spend more than twenty five dollars on my two catchers, <laughs> you know. If if nobody's buying the catchers, then buy the expensive catcher and then start looking to cheap, cheaper, and cheapest uh, in the other places. But um, I I do think it's it, it's valuable to sort of have a, a game plan with dollar uh, bats, dollar pitchers, reserve bats, reserve pitchers, premium prospects. You might go to five dollars on, which is the, the Chris List plan, basically. Um, you know, I'm going to have each of those categories and then I'm going to have a a game plan for every position that's five players deep that are quote unquote targets. But because I've put so many names on here, it's going to make me more agnostic. You know what I mean? It's, there's no, there's no like, Oh, like one year I went in there. I was like, I got to get Mike Moustakis because a, it wasn't last year. You know, it was, it was a bad year. It wasn't a good year. year. Um, and I, and I went in and I said, I need to have Mike Moustakis. And I had a decision tree with or without Mike Moustakis. I had Mike Moustakis valued at $15. I got him for 11 and my whole draft unfolded from there. And the reason I wanted him was because, A, uh, he played through injury the year before, so I thought the projection, projections would be low on him. Uh, his batted ball uh, distance had gone up. Uh, he showed uh, power in the minors and good contact ability, so he could have a good batting average. So, I mean, he looked like, he looked like the guy who he looked like last year. But, you know, two or three years ago, I thought I'd found him, you know? Yeah, you were just early on him. He stunk the joke. He stunk the joint up. But um, so instead of that, I'm I'm just going to have five five guys for every slot. And that allows me some flexibility to say, oh, well, I missed out on uh, Roldis Chapman because, you know, someone thought he was still an $18 guy and I have him at 14 to 15. But, you know, around that 14 to $15 level, I still have two other names. And then if those don't work out, I have a couple names written down at the $10 level that I like. So it is sort of a tier strategy uh, combination. I like that. I definitely like that. I got a few more things for you. We're, we're running up against the clock. You got to go school some fools on the, on the court. Um, anything with a nomination strategy? I know people, a lot of people ask this. I think it's generally overblown. It uh, doesn't mean you can't do anything with it to, to kind of give yourself an advantage, but worrying about it too much I, I think uh, can send you down a wrong path. Like don't expend too much time thinking about it, but do you have any general strategies for, for nomination, particularly as it relates to a league like this um, where you're dealing with, you know, guys who, you know, different styles that they have because you've been playing against these same managers for so long. Yeah. My, my, my ideas about that have changed a little bit in the past too. You know, I, we had, uh, or I think Mike Potthorst had Larry Schechter on. I mean, we both had him on. Yeah, we both had him on once and when his book came out. And he said something that was very smart, which had gone counter to my strategy in the past. In the past, I, I, I just throw guys I don't want. 
And my idea was I'm getting money off the table. Well, Larry Schechter said, if you're doing that, you're losing, like throwing somebody is an opportunity. And you're throwing away your opportunity in a way. And um, he was saying you, you could learn something about how your team is going to go instead of, you know, trying to pump money out of other people. That's and a good point. I think, yeah, I think it was a really good point. However, I'm not going to go so far as say that I'm 100% on board with him, even though he's won a lot uh, more than me. Uh, really mine. Great guy. But I, I just can't go that far because I do – on some level, since I don't usually buy the most expensive players, it's not as much about getting the money out. I want to see where the ceiling is. So, you know, if I had first pick, even if I don't think that I'm going to go to whatever Mike Trout's number is, I want to throw Mike Trout because I want to see what that number is going to be. You yeah, know? Set, set some baselines. Maybe give yourself an idea. Obviously, things can be changed there's no hard and fast rule that if a player goes here nobody else can go above that number but it does start to give you some baseline so i agree with you particularly on the high-end players because you might still get in on a mike trout but you know i, I don't like to throw out these the secondary guys they're not quite middle tier but they're not quite upper tier they're just like right in there uh that are like those 20 that i have no use for because i i just i don't want to mess with it and there is no value to figuring out how much i don't know i can't even think of a guy like that right now um you know i'm not, brian mccann or something like that that for me for my strategy there's no real use to me kind of figuring out his price so i'm not going to throw him um for the guys that i don't want if I'm going to do that, it's, it is going to be a, a, an upper tier one to at least expend that money. Cause I don't think learning the cost of like a mid tier guy early in the auction, you know, let's stick with AL catchers, like a Steven vote. If I throw him out in that first round, his price, I don't think it's going to hold up in terms of setting the market for the rest of catching. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, like particularly like if you go even further, why throw a guy you want as a dollar player when everybody has a lot of money? Then oh, yeah, you definitely don't want to do that. that that's the easiest way gonna, to have to pay $3 or $4 for your sleeper oh. or not get him at all. Right, yeah. So I, I think generally flow from the, from the top to the bottom, uh, that gives you a, a chance to spot tiers, spot uh, you know ceilings and floors on, on what people are willing to pay in that area, in that talent area. So... Uh, you know, I may th I may throw somebody. You know, if I if I'm throwing, man, am I throwing? I might be throwing last because I was last or I was second to last last year. God, that was so painful. I mean, um, you got like I, I'm not just gonna make a bunch of excuses for you, but you got kind of ravaged. Uh, you know, the yeah. Stroman injury right away. The the didn't you have Odor? Obviously, he was a big guy for you last year. Yeah. The ugly yeah. start it was tough to climb out of. I mean, th there was there were some bad breaks thrown in there. Obviously, you're going to go in this year and 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 smash those fools. On our way out, you know, uh, who are some good late buys? Again, these don't have to be guys that you're interested in 100%. We don't have to give away all of your favorite late buys. But I got a couple names. I, I hope you got a couple names. And then we'll just pick one from each of our groups because we really got to go. We can't dive in on all three of them. But the, the, game, the names I've got, Nori Aoki, Mark Canha, and Chris Medlin. Again, this is AL only. Some guys who are going to go late that I think can be some decent values. Who's the favorite uh, of yours out of those three? Um, I was looking at Aoki actually recently, and I, I think that there's, uh, you know, if, as long as the concussions aren't an issue, I think uh, he's a guy that can produce 
a lot of value just by sort of running out there and, yeah, and, and being playing. being a player. Yeah, and and I think that he doesn't really have the type of splits where he's going to be put into uh, a, a strict platoon role. He's no Seth Smith, so I think he actually has you know the kind of ceiling where his 600 plate appearances, which makes him a great sort of number, like a great accruing stats guy. Yeah, he's definitely an accumulator. Because he's not going to excel in any one category. You know, he doesn't even run a ton anymore. Get you a few bombs. What you're really hoping for is the good average, the good on base, score some runs if that Seattle offense is solid um, and he's batting at the top of it and just logging the, the plate appearances. Last year was his first year where he didn't get at least 550 plate appearances, 588, 674, and actually 549 in 2014. So technically he has two years below 550, but you get the point. Last year's 392 was the lowest, and he is 34. So Aoki, you know, could could be uh, subject to some more injuries at that age, but I'm willing to bet on him. He's never expensive. You gotta love a contact rate like that. The dude has a one to one strikeout to walk ratio for his career with an eight percent uh, strikeout rate and obviously an eight percent walk rate at that point. So that's just really good. And I, it's hard to find cheap batting average because usually the guys who hit well for batting average uh, go much earlier because they do other things. I think Nori Aoki is a chance to get some cheap batting average. Yeah, I think your earlier point about DH onlys is really playing out as I as I look down table at uh, at the values because Pod Hortzer's uh, values for uh, and Stanley Gaines points values for DHs are consistently DH only types are consistently ten to fifteen dollars over what the auction calculator is pointing printing out. So, for example, Evan Gaddis is valued at two dollars coming out of the auction calculator. And coming out of standard gains points with pot horses value sixteen fifty. So, you know, there's gonna be there is gonna be a, a DH there where somebody's is playing off a, a sheet that gives a lot of positional uh, value to all the other people and doesn't give any to DHs. That um, I think that you know there's some opportunity there. And then you know there's you know there's a hype machine goes the wrong way on players sometimes. So I think the Corey Dickerson uh, poo poo machine. Has gone too far. The poo-poo machine. Uh, you know, I got to interrupt you real quick. I think I'm going to have to go. The Tigers just blew a 7-0 lead here uh, against the Yankees, and I'm really distraught. So I think I'm going to have to end it here. <laughs> I might not even be able to do next week's podcast. So well, just, uh, I'm broken up. No, I'm kidding. You, so Dickerson's go, somebody go that you think uh, is getting down a little the, too much. Uh, go hang out on the poo-poo machine. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to go mess with the poo-poo machine and see if the Tigers can get this <laughs> uh, get this lead back. No, no, go back on Dickerson, though, because he is somebody that is very divisive now. Now that he's out of Coors, a lot of folks are, are nervous. Then there are others who are starting to kind of pump him up, our own Justin Mason, I think has spoken pretty glowingly of him now you're saying that you like him the auction calculator only has him for nine bucks i'd be paying that all day what do you think is a reasonable price that you would still be in on would you pay 13 for Corey dickerson well I, I, it's even worse if you use the depth charts on the auction calculator oh, okay yeah, i was using steamer yeah in the depth charts one i think only pumps uh pumps out 300 plate appearances for him Oof, that's which tough. seems pretty low there is an outfield lo- uh, log gem out there. There is. But I just think still think 300 is low, and I think that's sapping a lot of his value. I think there would be a, lo- a big difference in sort of playing time projections on him, but I see him as a guy who can hit anywhere, and uh, Podhorter's number is 16 bucks. I'm not sure I'll go all the way to 16, because at 16 I, I might be able to get, you know, let's see, um, here's a, who's a $16 outfielder? Uh, Alex Gordon. Chris Davis with a K. You know, Michael Brantley. Um, Michael Brantley's an interesting name. We might have to talk about him another time because uh, you do have to go. Speaking of can hit from anywhere, you can hit from anywhere 
on the floor. And so you need to go drop some Steph Curry shots. I think we got to go ahead and wrap it up. I know you're. You know, on- you know what I shout sometimes when I hit a three? Tell me. Keith Van Horn. <laughs> yes. Today you have to yell poo-poo machine after you hit one, and then it will really freak the guys out. They won't want to cover you. They're going to think you're weird. And then you'll just be wide open for more threes to keep it. Poo-poo machine. Exactly. You know, sometimes I, uh, if I do something inside, I go, Varigel. I That's hilarious because, of course, you have the same hair. Do you wear a headband like Varigel? Sometimes I do. I'm just going to yeah. start doing that. I'm going to, whenever I complete an athletic achievement, which is, is rare, but you know, on softball, if I, if I hit, you know, a real good slap and I'm just going to Ichiro as I'm running down the, the first baseline <laughs> or something. And if I happen to put a little bit of a charge in it and, and get a double Matt Carpenter, uh, <laughs> that's a new trend. I really like that. You just shout the player who did some, who was really good at the thing that you just did. <laughs> and so yeah white guy who nails a three you're like keith van horn that's a good one that's a really good my game one. is is actually a, kind of a mix between van horn and Vergel. <laughs> listen those are two like legit careers i know neither of them were superstars uh i'm never i'm never the star on the on the field do, but <laughs> doesn't matter you're out there playing and you're getting it done they, they the game needs the mid-tier player and and those two guys made very long like i said Verzov's still playing uh and so listen you're going to be playing for a decade schooling is out there. I got to let you go get out there right now. Have a great time in Arizona. You know, I know you and I will be texting probably on Saturday, uh, figuring out, you know, how you're doing on your, on your auction and everything. Have a great time at Sabre seminar, having beers, having your meetup, talking to Joey Votto, grab some of his pants for me. Zach Granke. I know it's going to be a blast. I hope you have a wonderful time. Yeah, guys, uh, if any of you are listening in Arizona, uh, Friday, March 11th at Paradise Valley, OHSO. Is the meetup? There you go. Uh, I think we're 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 looking about six or seven. We're gonna start it up. Uh, free food, um, and we're gonna have some a good list of writers. I've got uh, signed up guys like um, Corey Brock, J.J. Stankovitz, Mark Sheldon, uh, Craig Calcaterra, Mike Petriello, Darren Williams. So a lot of interesting people that can have very interesting conversations with you about baseball. So hopefully you'll come to the meetup, and um, and uh, thanks for listening. By the way, I think this our new strategy relates to writing as well. Next time I, I do a post, I'm just going <laughs> to hit publish and go, Eno Saris. <laughs> I, I, it had pitch type peripherals in that's it. That's what I'm Eno! saying. I, I mentioned four different grips. That's why I did the Eno Saris. If I talk about something in, in, in the culture, Craig Calcaterra. You know, I think you just have to you have to do it for everything that you do now. I, I think that's the way to go. Uh, again, that meetup. You Get a little. What? Get a little pee on your hands in the bathroom. Poison Moises- <laughs> If you do that in the bathroom, someone might get mad. I think that that would be. Please record it if you do that. <laughs> What's the date again for that meetup? Uh, that's Friday, March 11th. Friday, March 11th. Get it done. Eno's going to be out in Arizona. If you are out there, he's awesome in person. If you think he's great on the on the radio, he's even better in person. And you'll get to see the hair. That's what makes it so much better. Eno, we got to go. Go hoop it up. Go Verajal and Keith Van Horn them. Thank you all for listening. Jason and I will be back on Sunday.